Tonight in our headline segment, we talk about localization. And uh, proudly, South Africa released a study they commissioned, uh, uh, commissioned uh, with uh, the Pan African Research and um, uh, Insights Service, and uh, one Dr. Iraj Abedian there undertaking that study alongside his team, unpacking the role of the country's manufacturing sector and the multiplier impact thereof on uh, employment, on investment, uh, and uh, on uh, national output as well. And uh, some of the highlights, of course, of the report, including uh, uh, that, uh, yeah, there are many spin-offs and uh, spillovers of uh, investment in particular subsectors of the manufacturing sector. To tell us a bit more about this study, joined on the line by the CEO of Proudly South African, Eustace Mashimbe. Eustace, good evening. How are you? I'm good on yourself. How are you, Bonga? I'm well, thank you, Eustace. Can't complain. Eustace, um... Yeah, you guys are on a roadshow now. Um, really, I guess, popularizing some of the work that you've done uh, or commissioned here uh, with uh, Dr. Iraj Abedian and his team. Uh, and I want us, before you even get into uh, the findings of the study, um, I mean, I think the debate around localization is not a new one. Uh, there's been certainly a lot of checkered responses. Uh, you know, I, I think myself, I've weighed into it as well and gotten all manner of flack from others. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can discuss those views. But I want to just talk about there's a dominant narrative that localization, um, you know, which effectively means trying to increase the share of locally manufactured goods in the basket, maybe, of not only mm-hmm. households, but firms alike of what it is they use, what it is and, and so on. Um, Many people are saying, well, you do that, you increase prices. You do that, you antagonize your trading partners. Um, and there were even studies, I think I saw one from the Center of Development and Enterprise, saying this thing in general is just a bad idea. Um, so talk to me about, I guess, commissioning of the study and where that fits into that debate at the current moment. And, and, and the reason why we, we commissioned this study is exactly that. I mean, people like the, the CGE, like you said, said this is a bad idea. And so we, we had to introspect uh, as much as possible and we found that uh, you know maybe the best way to uh, to arrive at whether it's really a bad idea or not is to commission the study mm. and it's actually a fair iteration of the study to just reconfirm sure. that what we know and what we understand uh, is indeed correct and and, and i think the study proves us right that uh, we're sitting in a country with eight million people who are unemployed i mm. you know the numbers and, and this excludes those who are discouraged. So the 8 million people who are actively looking for work, and they can't find it. So the other 3.5 are discouraged. So, I mean, when you do the net, close to 12 million of our people are unemployed. You can't just sit and say, you are going to focus only on, on, on those sectors where you have uh, some competitive advantage. Because mm-hmm. that is what all of this naysayers are saying. And so our role as politics and as a bi-local campaign, is to dispel that notion, is to say, what are we going to do about this 8 million people who remain unemployed? Sure. We condemn them uh, to, to lifelong poverty. What about the next generations? What kind of economy are we going to pass mm. down to the next generation? And, and so uh, you can't just sit and fold your arms and say, you know, we're not going to do anything. And this study proves that you know, all of us have something at our disposal, uh, yeah. which is you know, buying power. All of us do make some sort of purchasing decision on a day-to-day basis. And that, that is the only way that we can all effectively contribute mm. uh, to the growth of the economy. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, I mean, you, you draw, certainly in your comment now, this visceral link between improvements in manufacturing, production, investment, you know, uh, and I guess employment outcomes in general and resolution of the employment challenges that we have. But I think, and I haven't seen the study, Eustace, but I would think 
that parts of the manufacturing sector that South Africa has also historically had a comparative advantage in have probably not been the most labor-intensive. I mean, if you think about, you know, the latest manufacturing sales and production numbers that came out, big part driving that, heavy metal, machinery, you know, Mm. all, I guess, responding to uh, the very relatively higher iron ore and steel prices that we see Mm. um, abroad. Um, So it's not just about any manufacturing, it seems, but um, Uh I guess targeting the subsectors that are most labor-intensive. And, and our study focused on those sectors that are labor intensive. We looked at agro processing. Mm. We went into uh, you know the automotive industry. We, we looked at uh, the, the the clothing and textile industry. We looked at furniture. Uh, we looked at steel. We mentioned steel. We looked at the poultry. We looked at sugar. So so we went into industries that we know uh, have a big uh, contribution when it comes to, uh, you know, taking care of, of livelihoods. I mean, the sugar industry set uh, takes care uh, of, of up to a million livelihoods in the country. And, and, and so that's why we looked at industries like that. Um, outside of the fact that, you know, there are master plans in that, you know, diving some sort of activity in this industry, what the study sought to do is to say, uh, you know, if we were to shock the system, and, and with the, you know, the director the, 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 the taught me that, uh, you know, the, the word shock has a negative connotation to it, but if you look at it in terms of, you know, economic terms, if you shock, it's uh, uh, some sort of shock to, to, to that industry, to the manufacturing industry broadly, and uh, looking at those labor-intensive subsectors, uh, through increased investment, uh, up to 10%, what would the impact be? And, and that was the study, uh, versus leaving the situation as is. And, and it points to both short-term and medium-term uh, increases uh, both on the GDP, on fiscal revenue, on investment, uh, on employment of the lower skilled, employment of the higher skilled. And, mm. and you know, uh, this day and age, when you, when you talk employment, uh, especially when you look at the real wages in, in manufacturing, because, because of this such a huge dependence on, on, on uh, technology, it's not as low skilled as it was uh, previously. So, so it's sure. taking quality and different jobs in the menu. And, and all of those key indicators point to the fact that uh, you know they will all you know uh, you know have uh, some sort of upward trajectory if we are to invest about ten percent in that investment. And all of all of that, that investment talks to uptake and and and. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, talking about some of these subsectors, I mean, I think a lot of studies, um, you know, and one of the ones that over the last decade or so I found very interesting on the score, uh, looking at la- um, uh, sort of measures of labor intensity, some work done by uh, Fiona Tregena out at uh, UJ. And she found, I mean, that clothing, textiles, furniture, leather, footwear, and building construction manufacturing subsectors. Um, were some of the most labor-intensive, and even agriculture comes much after that because there are parts of agriculture that are more capital-intensive, and maybe horticulture is probably more labor-intensive than, say, you know, livestock rearing, right? Um, but in a sense, um, it's quite clear that a lot of these labor-intense subsectors are the ones that have suffered the most from competition from global value chains. What do you say to somebody who says, you can't win back your clothing sector, you can't win back your footwear sector, you can't win back your furniture a sector, you can't win back your cement sector, let it go uh, and effectively do what you're good at, which is to ship off raw materials uh, to people who will process them elsewhere. 
And and then what happens, like where I started, what happens to all of those households? Uh, so, so you can, I mean, the study tells us that you can, uh, because you see the, the, the benefit of, 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 of making sure that you revive those sectors or you win them back uh, to go from you. Mm. It is that even the impact of, and I think that's, the, that's what the market price effect is in, the impact is also felt in other sectors, you know, primary and tertiary sectors such as finance, transport and communication, wholesale and retail uh, trade, construction, electricity. And, and so all of those then tend to benefit when you get back all of those industries. So, so, so it's an effort worth making. Uh, we've seen that, uh, you know, COVID has showed us, uh, the COVID pandemic showed us that when those that we rely on have, to have for one or another reason have to close off their borders and we, we, experience, we experience what it means by way of uh, you know, supply chain disruptions all over the world. And we then have to fend for ourselves in most instances. And so security of supply becomes an issue. So, so, so there are many instances as to why you need to try to get back those industries because it's no longer just about price. Mm. Uh, competitiveness is not just about price. Right now, the focus should be on accessibility, on availability, and all, on the social impact as well thereof. So, so you have to fight for the clothing and textile space. I can tell you, based on the work that we do as Private South African, that we've seen an uptick in the levels of local content in retail stores. That simply means we are getting back a share of the market that was lost to Asia and all of these other uh, you know, the markets. And so the, 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 the case is there to be made for other industries to say there is uh, an opportunity to find back. And that is what we're calling for as Private South African. Yeah, yeah. And of course, also, I guess the other dynamic is that the premiums associated with our basket of commodities is not always going to be there. Um, and I guess, you know, as, as people often say, uh, the commodities we are good at, and we're speaking to Tembeg about that as well, looking at our current account deficit. Those commodities uh, are always subject, you know, at certain times to a negative, you know, terms of trade. Um, and uh, we see it in countries like Angola and Nigeria, any dip in the oil price has devastating outcomes. So um, this is part and parcel, I guess, what you're saying about also diversifying where a lot of the value and economic activity comes from. And, and, and to add to that, you also have an opportunity to, to even unify the new investors. So, so it's not just about fighting for those labor-intensive sectors that we have identified as critical to this reindustrialization drive, but it's also about new opportunities this need to identify alternative sources of energy presents new opportunities as well. Uh, you know, the, the study, uh, you know, had a good unintended consequence of leading us to that point where we sort of started identifying through the study of the Kairaja Belgian and team, identified that there are other industries that can, that can benefit, you know, that we can benefit from if we just step into the opportunity of an irrigation uh, uh, system, uh, uh, um, uh, solar, uh, yeah. Panel, uh, the, the the need for storage of energy, so so the batteries and and all of those uh, uh, kinds of equipment. So there are, there are endless opportunities to even start new industries, but obviously it needs investment. But in order for that investment to work, we need a commitment in terms of offtakes, and that can only come from us. We know that money is going to be spent on these things. We need to be brave and bold and say we are going to prioritize which, that which comes from here. Because then that's how you drive investment as well. No one is going to invest in the country if, if, if we are not going to say to them we are going to buy from you. Despite the fact that the market is here, uh, there are instances where we see decisions being made 
to, to still choose to buy from outside of the country when, when, when if those orders had been bulked up, would have benefited from economies of scale and the price issue would have been dealt with as well. And I guess, you know, there are also big question marks. I mean, um, if, if one thinks about um, why finance in South Africa has been so reluctant to invest in manufacturing. Uh, I'm not sure if the study touches on that. Uh, but, um, you know, a point was made in a World Bank report a few years ago saying uh, the issue is not only around financing, but if you also look at some of the tax and non-tax incentives, uh, I think the point that was being made there was in mining, if you're looking for a post-tax return of about 10%, you need a pre-tax return of around 8.8%. If you're looking for the same post-tax return in manufacturing, you probably need a starting point of a pre-tax return of 22%. Now, what that suggests is you probably need a much higher hurdle rate of return in manufacturing to just get to a 10% return after taxation. Um, Whereas in the mining sector, even a pre-tax return that is less than 10%, once somebody benefits from some of the tax and non-tax incentives, uh, effectively takes you to the same percentage point return, uh, comparable in that case to, to what's happening in the manufacturing sector. How do we deal with some of those things uh, on the tax side, fiscal policy-wise, but also in terms of uh, microeconomic and industrial policy? We, we, we touch on, on some of uh, the, the policy interventions uh, that are, are required in the in the report, mm. and we do uh, we do talk about the fact that you know, and some of these are you know, industrial, you know, uh, uh, revitalization requirements, and, and some of them are transversal, so they cut across many industries. Sure, and uh, we, we it includes uh, the regulatory environment, it includes the energy space, it includes water, it includes the issue of skills, uh, transportation, and export logistics network. So so it does need. Uh, you know, all the social partners or all the constituencies to, to contribute. And we are happy that we have an opportunity uh, through this report. I mean, when Nedlec caught wind of the fact that we have commissioned the study, they asked us to come and present it as soon as we said. So we're going to Nedlec two weeks from now, and we're going to talk to the Nedlec trading industry chamber where, you know, because that's the policy space. So we're hoping that when we get there, we can start influencing thinking around incentives. I mean, we touched on, on, on the incentives and on funding. Uh, for for manufacturing, just to make sure that that which we are calling for is supported uh, financially. Those who think of business plans that can help us achieve some of the things that this report is calling for uh, can be funded uh, because uh, that way, you know, as much as uh, some some of the benefits that are contained in the report are medium to long term, mm. but at least we know that, uh, you know, we, we are not just sitting and saying, uh, you know, five years from now, let it be worse. Uh, because the investment uh, required in the manufacturing industry is much higher than in, in mining, as an example. So uh, we can't just sit and fold our arms. I think that that's what we're saying, that you know, it might uh, be painful, it might require some sacrifices to be made, uh, but we will then start yielding uh, the results. That's why the report uh, you know, gives you details around what the short-term benefits are for each of those key indicators, what the medium-term benefits are, and what you're going to look at or derive over the, the longer term. Mm. Where can we find the report? So the report is on the PowerDSA website, powerdsa.co.za. Uh, the report is there, and it's available for anyone who uh, wants to consume it and take us on. In fact, we are keen to get mm. news, especially from these naysayers, uh, as I <laughs> prefer to call them. Uh, we want to hear what they have to say. I mean, sure. we responded to, to CDE's report 
and equally we would like them to respond to our report just so that we can get a sense as to whether we're getting it wrong. And we are, we are happy to be told we're wrong. Uh, uh, get us, uh, sure, sure. Uh, we, we are happy to be told that we're wrong, but people must come with solutions. Uh, we all know someone is unemployed. Uh, I was saying to them that uh, they must uh, remain where they are, especially people who have those skills. Uh, because they emanate from, uh, you know, having worked in those industries that were decimated and people got returns. Yeah. How do you get those jo- jobs back? Eustace, we're going to have to leave it there. I also know you're quite busy over the next while out on a road show. You're in Guazul Natal and in other parts. Maybe talk to us about that before we let you go. All right. We, the, the, the plan is to... Eustace, always a pleasure catching up with you, my brother, and thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Abola. That there's Eustace Mashimbe, he's the CEO at Proudly South African, speaking to us tonight here on the Mighty Metro.